Father, thanks for your goodness to us. I pray that we would be reminded, not just in our head, but our hearts this morning, of who we are in you. As we look at your word, uh, remind us, Spirit, that you dwell in us, those of us that have surrendered our lives to you. Uh, we have a different posture, we have a different power source of living life, of loving you and loving people. Help us lean into that this morning, God. Give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it, hearts to be transformed into the likeness of your Son. Father, would you bring the Spirit to make the resurrected Christ known to us this morning? We ask it in your name. Amen. <clears throat> That's my fault. Uh, I should have known not to ask somebody from Colorado to do the announcements. <laughs> so we'll finish when the Suns win the series, and then Ray can be off probation from doing announcements. <laughs> Uh, good to see you guys. Uh, welcome to Redemption Peoria. If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans 8. That's where we're going to be sitting uh, this morning. My wife and I were in California last week. We were at a wedding of a dear, dear friend. And uh, man, it was just really good to be out there. It was beautiful. We got to stay with family. And um, the wedding was unbelievable. I've never seen uh, in all the weddings I've done, and I've done a lot of weddings, and usually when I get invited to be a part of a wedding, typically I'm invited to be the officiant of the wedding because of my work and what I do, um, but I was a groomsman this time. They're really connected to their church out there, the bride and the groom, and uh, I was thankful just to stand there. It was great. I didn't have to do any work, and it was unbelievable, um, but this guy uh, I've known for a long time. Uh, I, was, I trained him in ministry back in our old context, and uh, he's just a, such a good guy, loves Jesus, loves people. He's 39 years old, never been married. Um, I've never seen this happen before. Uh, the doors open for the officiant to walk down, and we're all in the groomsmen, we're waiting in the lobby, and then he goes to walk, and then we walk, and then the bridal party, and then the bride. Um, and the doors open, and he walks down, and there's about 250 people in the room, and everybody starts cheering for him. I've never seen anybody cheer for the groom. And he was kind of like, and then he just embraced it. And it was, <laughs> it was amazing. And then his bride walks down and he's like shaky crying, like, like almost like on the ground. And we were all, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was great. So it was a really special time for us. Thankful for Tyler to, to fill in yesterday. Anytime he gets to be here, I'm thankful for that. Um, and as good as a time as it was in California last week, I kind of missed you guys. Uh, yeah, like I got in here uh, this week and I was like, oh, I missed being with everybody. So thankful to be with you guys gathered on a Sunday. Uh, some of you that are, are new and some of you that have been here a long time, I'm just thankful we get together and rehearse the story of God together uh, every single week to say, what does God have to say to us in his word? Uh, how do we rehearse this story of what is true in the Bible? Because we're going to leave these doors and we're going to hear a counterfeit story coming at us all day long. Uh, in multiple venues, and so we're just, uh, I'm thankful that we get to sit under God's word and be reminded of what's true of us in Christ. So um, again, let's, let's dive into Romans chapter 8. We, if you're new, we've been, uh, this is the third week of a seven-week series called Life in the Spirit, based on Romans chapter 8. We're just walking through verse by verse Romans chapter 8 together, and the reason we named uh, the series Life in the Spirit is because in these 39 verses that Paul gives in Romans chapter 8, 21 times he uses the language of the Spirit. And specifically, other than two times of those 21, it's a capital S 
which is a title for the Holy Spirit, who is God, the third person of the Trinity. And what Paul is unwinding for us in this idea in Romans chapter 8 is like, okay, you're, you, those of you that are in Christ, you've been rescued from your sin, you have life now because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you, now what does it look like to live that out? What does it look like that the Spirit of God lives inside of us, which we'll see today from the text, and then what does that look like practically? So for the context, we talked about this in the first week, like uh, backing up into what we're looking at, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 7, he talks about this war going back and forth between his flesh, he says, and the Spirit. Right? The flesh is like our selfish desires, just as humans. The Bible says because of sin, we're all kind of defaulted to that selfish kind of me-first mentality. And if you have kids, you know that's true, like anecdotally. Like you don't have to teach your kids to be selfless um, because they're just selfish all the time, right? And so because of that, there's this war back and forth between the spirit and the flesh that Paul talks about in Romans 7. He's going, man, I want to do these good things but I don't do them. Like, I keep messing up. Like, what's going on? How do I move forward? And he says, but because I'm in Christ, and he starts in 8.1, which we looked at, there's no condemnation. Even though your behavior is back and forth and you're failing and you're trying to do it right, but you're messing up, like, because of what's true of you in Jesus, because what he's done on the cross, you're actually free. Even in the midst of your behavior and feeling like a failure, which the world will say, man, man you are a failure, the Bible says, no, because your position in Jesus, you are free. And then he talks about the spirit in the midst of that, the next several verses, which we unpacked in week one of like, it, there's no condemnation for you in Christ. You are free. And the, the way you live out that freedom is in the spirit. Now you couldn't, you couldn't obtain perfection from the law uh, of loving God and loving others. But because now you have the spirit, you can actually love God and love other people and then Tyler walked us through, well, how do you actually do that? How do you access that spirit? How do you access that freedom? He said, you don't set your mind on the things of the flesh. You set your mind on things of the spirit. And Tyler walked us through last week of what does it actually mean to kind of marinate in understanding the things of the spirit? What Galatians uh, chapter 5 says about the fruit of the spirit instead of kind of marinating on the things of the flesh. And so if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, um, when you give your life to Christ, everything doesn't work out perfectly. And so you're faced with temptation. And so even in the midst of that temptation and trying to fight it to do the right thing, sometimes you go like, well, I just, I, I shouldn't do this. I can't do this. And you're still thinking or setting your mind on things of the flesh, even though you're not trying to do it. It's like the idea of saying like, well, don't think of pink elephants. It's like, well, now everybody's thinking of a pink elephant. And you can go, I shouldn't think of pink elephants. I, th I shouldn't think of pink elephants, which is true. You shouldn't dwell on the flesh, but you need to replace it with something. Instead of thinking of a pink elephant, you think of a rainbow zebra. I don't know. Like, right, like now you're thinking of a rainbow zebra and you're not thinking of a pink elephant. So like marinating on the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh, gives you access to this freedom that Paul is saying, like you have it in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to walk it out. And what we're going to see uh, today as kind of, we're going to round kind of the, the ending, and you'll see kind of a break in your Bible, if you're looking at your Bible, at the end of verse 11, Paul is kind of wrapping up this thought from verses 1 to 11 of this encouragement. He's trying to encourage people that are in Christ, and then he's going to transition into verse 12. We'll look at verse 12 and 13 as well, of like, because all this stuff's true, 
and you have freedom, and I want to encourage you in that freedom. Now do this. This is what he starts with in verse 12. And so the big idea that we're going to walk out of today from verses 9 through 13 is because the Spirit dwells, you are in debt. Because the Spirit dwells in you, you are in debt to living according to His way and not according to your own way. And we're going to unpack that in a minute because it might be like, like you just told me I'm free, but now you're saying I'm in debt. How, how do you reconcile that? So that's where we're going to go uh, and how we're going to break it down is we're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11 and kind of round out that last section and what does that actually mean to have the Spirit dwell in you. And then we will move to the application part of verses 12 and 13. What does it mean to be a debtor? So that kind of sets the, the uh, table for where we're going to go this morning. Let's start in verse 9. If you have a Bible, look down with me. Uh, verses 9, 10, and 11 say this. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's look at those three verses collectively. And again, what I think Paul is doing in this last section as he is encouraging and giving, I think, um, proper assurance, uh, not false assurance for being in Christ, but proper assurance for being in Christ. He's going like, if you're really in Christ, do you know the Spirit dwells in you? If you're really in Christ, do you know that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that even though you're warring with your flesh and you're failing, you're trying to get up again, do you know who you really are. It's kind of rounding it out, this idea of that the Spirit dwells in you, which is kind of the last stamp of understanding like, man, I'm free in Christ. How am I free in Christ? Because God actually dwells in you. What does that word dwell mean in the original language? It, uh, it, it has this uh, essence with it of residing or inhabiting or remaining. So Paul is saying like, if you're in Christ, the Spirit, God's Spirit, actually resides in you, inhabits you. And not only does the Spirit dwell in you for your mortal bodies, that one day you will die. All of our bodies are failing. That is clear to all of us. And one day, if you are in Christ, the Spirit indwelled in you, you will be raised with Christ, but not just when you die, but in your everyday life, walking out, living in the Spirit, what does it mean to walk into situations that feel dead? A relationship, a circumstance, things that you're trying to fight. And you look at that circumstance from the outside and you go, man, I'm trying to fight this and it keeps killing me. I'm trying to step in with love in this relationship and it does not seem to be going anywhere. I feel like I'm hitting a wall. I don't know what to do. It doesn't look like there's any life found anywhere. And Paul's going, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead He's dead. The Spirit comes, gives him life, and raises him. Is the same Spirit that inhabits you, that dwells within you, that remains in you. So that circumstance that you're going through that looks dead, that you go, there's no way out to this. I'm just going to cut ties. I don't like any part of it. You go, no, 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 wait. Like, God can raise things from the dead. 
And for us that are walking through certain circumstances that are hard for us, confusing for us, troubling for us, we're in relations that are confusing, feel toxic, and we don't know what to do with them, and we just feel like they're dead, God can actually resurrect them. It's hope for us as Christians, which is what Paul is trying to drive to, that we actually have hope because the Spirit dwells inside of us. This is the assurance for the follower of Jesus. And so for us, the question is, like, for you, individually, like, are you, are you a follower of Christ? Like, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you given your life to him? You've recognized that you're uh, sinful apart from God and you, all your good works aren't going to help. All you're trying is not going to help. There's some point that you come to the end of yourself and you go, I need Jesus to make me right. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he forgives you and changes you and you surrender to him. Have you made that decision? And the way you know if you've made that decision is you examine yourself. This is some of the language that Paul is using that we're going to get to in a minute, but um, you examine yourself. Have you surrendered to Christ? Because if you have, even if you're, you're, you're going back and forth and you're failing, you're doing good and you're failing, like if you've surrendered to Christ, you've crossed over from death to life, Jesus says in John chapter 5, you have new life and the Spirit actually dwells in you. Even if you don't feel like he does, he does. So how do you examine yourself? Um, I want to give an illustration for this. You're lucky you came today. This is, this is quite amazing because I'm going to, I'm going to, where's Jared at? Don't tell him I'm taking his guitar. It's... So I want to give an example of this by playing a song for you guys this morning. I know, I know, I know. Um, so when I, am I, am I turned on? Okay. So let me explain this. Let me explain what I'm going to do here um, because I'm excited to show you, uh, what this looks like. Um, I don't play the guitar at all, right? <laughs> at all, at all. Uh, so last night we're at some friend's house and um, my daughter and her friend are out back and they're, they both have guitars and they're like doing like a jam session and singing and they're super talented, both of them. And I come out and I grab the guitar from, from my daughter and the other gal that doesn't really know me, my daughter's friend, she's like, and I'd start like doing this, like I start sitting down and going like, you know, like I know how to play. And she's like, oh, do you play? And I was like, no, I don't <laughs> at all. Um, so I can kind of fake play the guitar. Uh, I tried to pick it up in college one time and I was too lazy, too frustrated. I didn't pick it up quick enough. And so I would look at people that played the guitar and I'm like, well, I should be able to do that right away. And I can't. And I, don't, I didn't try to put the time in, the discipline in. I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm just going to pretend when I get a guitar that I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, so don't forget to plug yourself back in, Jared. Um, some of us live the Christian life like that. Here's what I mean. We grow up going to church. We can kind of walk in and say the right things or have the right conversations. And like, as you examine yourself to find out if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, have you really surrendered your life or are you just faking it? Are you just going like, well, I, I kind of know the right things to say. Or like, I can look like I'm a Christian. 
you know, like, and, and yeah, like intellectually I believe in Jesus, and, but, but like, if you're honest with yourself, have you really fully surrendered your life to Christ? Because that's what Paul is getting, even in the language. Look back in your Bible, in, in the language that he's using in verses 9, 10, and 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He's using this if but language all over the place. He's going like, listen, I don't want to give you false assurance, uh, um, followers of Jesus at Rome. Like, I, I don't want you to go like, oh yeah, no, I, I made that one prayer that one time and I don't really know why I did it and I'm not really sure. Like, he's going like, if you're in Christ, then do you know what's true of you? Regardless of your behavior and going like, ah, oh, I fail sometimes. And sometimes we go like, well, I failed again. Am I in Christ? And you're going like, but have you surrendered your life to Christ? You're not playing the game. You're not faking it. You're actually going like, I'm trying my best. I'm failing. I'm picking myself up. If you are in Christ, the spirit of God dwells in you. Not if you intellectually believe in Jesus. Not if you've grown up in church. Not if you try to do the right thing and be a good person. But if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you are in him. And he is in you in the form of his spirit. He dwells in you. He resides in you. Paul uses this language in other places. I love at the end of 2 Corinthians. So he, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. If you're not familiar, um, Corinth is like Vegas on steroids. It's all kinds of wild, all kinds of crazy. He writes about it in his letter. He's like, dude, you can't be doing that to that. Like, it's not any good. But the whole time, he calls them believers in Christ. He calls them saints. He calls them to what they actually are. But at the end of letter two, this is what he says. He says this in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. You only know. He's telling the Corinthians that are crazy, crazy behavior. Like, listen, if you've really surrendered your life to Christ and you examine it and you go, yes, at one point I did give my life to Christ. What Christ has done on the cross has freed me, has forgiven me because of the blood on the cross. Then what he has done for me, yes, I am in Christ. I still fail. I still mess up. But if you're in Christ, do you know that you have the spirit that dwells in you? And here's the difference of what that looks like. Let's imagine for the sake of the illustration, um, that somehow Carlos Santana could come inside of my body, okay? For those of you who don't know, Carlos Santana is like one of the most famous guitar players. Let's imagine Santana could somehow come into my body, and when I picked up a guitar, I could hit a button on my arm, and he would play through me. Everything that he knows, his mind, his fingers, his body, could play unbelievable music through me, even though it's me doing it. That's what it means to have the Spirit dwell in you. The button you press is called prayer. It's going, God, I can't do this. I don't want to try. How foolish would it be if that was true and Santana could come into my body and, and all I had to do was press a button and I could play like him and I didn't press the button because like, well, I'll figure it out myself. Or, uh, I don't know, that's, it feels kind of weird, and that's kind of a, uh, like, I don't want them in, inside of me, and I, I don't know what's going on with that. Like, 
But if that was true, which it's true of you as a Christian, if you're in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you and you have access. You have access to making beautiful music of loving God and loving people and loving your enemy at the press of a button in prayer, dependence, reliance on the Spirit. But oftentimes we don't press the button. We get the guitar and we kind of fumble through it. And what Paul is saying is going like, like the Spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. Don't take that for granted. Know that you can have access. You can have freedom as you depend on him. The problem is, again, depending on him takes vulnerability. It takes humility. It takes dependence. And those aren't things that are high in our culture. But this is what Paul is pressing us to, to examine ourselves, to say, are you really in Christ? If you are, this is true that the Spirit lives in you and you have access to his power to live in freedom. That's the first half of the equation that the Spirit dwells in us as he rounds out his first thoughts from uh, verses 1 through 11. Let's pick up what he says in verse 12. Because all that's true, you have freedom. You set your mind not on things of the flesh, but on things of the spirit through prayer, through pressing that button, and then you actually have God's spirit dwelt in you. You have the power to actually do what I'm calling you to do, love God, love people. So then, verse 12, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according, excuse me, to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So again, this, this, this language is interesting that Paul uses uh, because he says in verse 1, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You're, you're free, but now it's saying, well, actually, you're, you're in debt, which feels weird to us. It doesn't seem to make sense. How can I be free, but I still owe somebody something. Um, this word debt, and some of your translations may say under obligation, the, the, the idea is that um, you are under obligation or bound by duty to someone. Bound by duty to someone. So you're no longer under obligation to the flesh. This is what Paul is saying all up until this point in Romans. He's saying, before you come into a relationship with Christ, you're actually an enemy of God. You cannot please God. You're separated from God. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses, but then Christ makes you alive. You are under obligation. You are indebted to the flesh before God comes into your life and shows you who he is in Jesus, and you repent and surrender your life to him. You don't have but any choice to be under obligation to the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean non-Christians can't love people or be kind to people or, of course they can. But at the end of the day, you have like this me first mentality if you are under obligation of the flesh because you haven't let Christ into your life. And what Paul is saying is like, that's not the case anymore. You were once under obligation of the flesh. You were bound by duty to the flesh, to your own sinful desires, to a me first mentality. But because when Christ comes in and now the spirit dwells in you, you're not a, debt, a debtor anymore to the flesh, but you're actually in debt to live according to the spirit. To live out what it means to actually love people by the power of the spirit and not the flesh. So as followers of Jesus, we're no longer tethered 
to the flesh, even though we operate in it often, we don't press the button of dependence and prayer. We try to do it on our own. Even if we have the spirit dwelling inside of us, we don't access that spirit in prayer. Lots of times we just try to do it on our own, but we're not tethered to it anymore. We're not under obligation to the flesh anymore. We're under obligation to the spirit. Uh, One of the examples I think is helpful in understanding this language of being bound by duty to someone or under obligation. Um, Some of you are familiar with the Star Wars stories. Some of you are just know the basic characters. Some of you know Star Wars better than your Bible, which is another conversation to have later. But um, it's a good story. And uh, if if you know Han Solo and Chewbacca, um, if you've seen any Star Wars, they're kind of connected at the hip, right? Han is the, the pilot of Millennium Falcon, and Chewie is the, the co-pilot. And if you don't know the earlier story with how they met, Han Solo actually rescues Chewbacca, saves his life. And because of that, Chewbacca gives a life debt to Han. He says, in the Wookiee culture, if you save my life, I am indebted to you until I either save your life or you die. And so uh, Chewbacca is with him every step of the way saying, you saved my life, I am indebted to you. This is what Paul is talking about as Jesus has saved our life, he indwells us in his spirit, in our being. Now we are indebted to love him, to worship him, to love God and to love others. That's the idea that Paul is trying to get across. Well, how do we flush that out? Like, what does that actually look like for us to be indebted to the Spirit? This is what he gives us in practical application in verse 13. Look back at your Bible. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we indebt ourselves to Christ, to God, to the Spirit? We put to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh. We were having a conversation about this verse in our preaching collective. So all 10 congregations, we come together once a week on Wednesday, and we talk about the text. All 10 congregations preach through the, t- the same text in uh, redemption, and we talk like we meet for an hour and just kind of rip up the text, and what are the problems? Where do we see the gospel? And then we go back to our individual context and say, okay, this is what our people need to hear. Um, and we were having a conversation specific about this verse, verse 13, and uh, one of the pastors there told this story about how um, he lives super far, like not in the city, kind of on the outskirts of the city. And so in their home, they have creepy, crawly things because we live in the desert that show up in their house all the time. And he has a three-year-old son. And they walk into their kitchen and they, uh, he opens something under the sink and he sees a spider web and the spider web has a black widow spider on it. He's got his three-year-old with him, he uses it as a teaching moment. He brings his three-year-old over. He goes, okay. You see that spider web, and yeah, you've seen spider webs before, yeah. Well, you see like that red dot in the middle of the body of the spider? That's called a black widow, and those are poisonous. They can be deadly. They're really dangerous, and so his three-year-old son is kind of taking it in, nodding, and then his three-year-old son turns to him and says the appropriate things. He goes, well, we're going to kill it, right, as a three-year-old boy would. And he goes, yeah. The dad goes, yeah, we're going to kill it, and they kill the spider. Like two days later... Same guy is at his buddy's house, a couple streets over, goes into his garage because the buddy wants to show him something in the garage, and up in the garage, up in the corner, high up, there's a spider web, and he sees a black widow crawling on the spider web, and he tells his buddy, like, dude, you know that's a black widow up there? 
And the buddy's like, yeah, I, well, I don't, you know, like, that's super high up. I don't really come in here a ton. Like, it would be a pain to get a ladder and get up there and, like, kill it. And, and my buddy's like, dude, you have kids. Like, don't you know that's, like, really dangerous, like, having that there. Like, you need to, you need to go up and kill that thing. And the buddy's like, ah, I'm not worried about it. And then they just walk back in. And some of us treat our sin like the buddy. We get comfortable with it. We go, you know what, like it's, it's pretty high up there. It's kind of hard to get to. Uh, it's not really going to bother me. I, it doesn't really feel like a threat. And what Paul is saying is like sin is a massive threat to you walking in the spirit. And what you need to do is to kill it. Not flirt with it. Not rationalize it. Not go, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. And then, like, maybe the guy's buddy comes over later and goes, oh, yeah, you don't need to worry about that. Your buddy said you got to worry about that? Don't worry about that. That's never going to get you. That's fine. Some of us live in this orbit with non-Christian people that go, like, oh, you're doing that? That's, how is that any big deal? That's no problem. And then you read the Bible and you go, this seems to be a problem in God's economy and God's kingdom. And I need to make an intentional effort to kill this thing called sin. Even the more culturally appropriate sins something I've been praying about a ton, we've been talking about a staff meeting and elders is just like, I just feel this massive burden for our community here at Peoria to have God just kill pride. Like kill it, like slay it, bury it in the ground. Like I don't want any part of it, not because of you, in me. Like God, kill any pride that's sneaky, that you can't really see, that culturally it looks like people are kind of applauding it when you step into those spaces of pride. Oh, you're amazing. Like, like kill that. Slay it. Put it in the ground. I don't want anything to do with it. And I don't want anything to do with it in our community. Because for some people, it looks like, oh, that's no problem. That's in everybody's garage. Black widows in every... Like, no, I want God to kill it. And this is how we are obligated to the Spirit to allow God to convict us of sin through His Word, through His people, through His Spirit, so that we step in and we don't pretend with sin, we don't play with sin, we kill sin. Some of you, you get that, and you see the, the devastation of sin. You've walked those things out in relationships and circumstances, and you go like, man, I don't want that either. And you're serious about sin. And even for me, like I could be serious about sin, but then uh, the, the problem is sometimes because of the culture I grew up in, I can go, okay, I'm serious about pride. I'm serious about sin. Here's what I need to do. I need to have better willpower. I need to work harder. I need to have smarter ideas of staying away from sin. And that's how you fight it. What does Paul say? Look back at your text in the middle of 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, what? By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's not me killing my sin. It's not me killing my sin. I can't do it. Not possible. All those things I listed, willpower, good idea, those aren't wrong. But if I'm relying on those things to kill my sin, to fix my problem, that's a problem. Instead, how do you fight this battle? What does Paul say later in Ephesians 6? You don't war against flesh and blood. No, you war against the powers, the principalities, the authorities of evil. And so how do you fight this power? It's not willpower. It's not harder work. It's not smarter ideas. It's prayer. It's dependence. It's death. 
That's how I'm going to win my battle, to press that button to go, God, I can't do it. God, I need you to show me. I need you to help me with your people, with your word, with your spirit. Like, I don't want to rely on myself anymore to kill sin. You think you can kill your own sin based on your willpower, and all the time you're growing pride in the midst of that, going, look what I did. I didn't fail for the last month. And you're going, like, that's actually counterproductive to how you should grow. So for us, we need to be reliant on the Spirit to go, okay, we we know that he is in us. If we're followers of Christ, Paul is telling us that. He empowers us not to live on our own effort, but as we're indebted to him, go, God, I need you every day. I need to pray. I need to depend on you. And that's hard because, again, it feels vulnerable. It feels like you're letting go of control. That feels scary and shaky, and you go like, I don't know, God. And then you don't have control of the timeline. Go, God, all right, I'm going to keep stepping in faith towards you. And I want you to fix this. And it doesn't seem to get fixed. And then you just give up. And you go back to working things out in the flesh. And Paul is going, this is what it means to walk in the spirit every day. Every day. Dependence. Prayer. Humility. Dependence. Vulnerability. Prayer. Humility. And when you do that, God will give you victory. Maybe it's not right away. Maybe it's not in your timeline. But he will. I want to trust that way more than trusting myself. And so that's what we get to be reminded of every single week when we come together. To go like, let's not try to do this thing on our own effort. Let's trust God. His spirit is in us. For those of us that um, are followers of Jesus, how do we lean into that moment by moment through humility and dependence because we have a life debt to live that way and not live according to our flesh. And when we do that, we have freedom. We have freedom. And the world's going to tell us the opposite of that. Because the Spirit dwells in you, you have a debt to Him. And that debt actually is how you're called to live. It actually is the best way to be a human. Because it's not based on you, it's based on Him. So as we respond this morning, as we do every single week at Redemption Peoria, we're going to sing songs of truth that even if we don't believe them to be true at times because circumstantially we're confused by them, we can go, no, like God is actually my portion. My flesh is going to fail. My heart is going to fail. But the Bible tells me that God's actually my substance. He's my portion. And I'm going to walk that by faith. I'm going to trust that by faith. I'm going to pray that God would meet me. When I look at my circumstances and everything seems to be failing around me, I've got a firm foundation based on who Jesus is because I'm in Christ. His spirit dwells in me, and in that, I am going to trust him even in the midst of my circumstances. And when you do that, he brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. So we're going to sing in our response as we do every single week here. We're going to have an opportunity to pray The reason we have prayer cards in the seat backs in front of you and prayer cards in this wall and this prayer space, which used to just be a storage closet, is go, this is how we press the button. That relationship, that circumstance, that thing that feels dead to you because you've been on a hundred dates and there's no guy that is around, you're like, I just feel like this is dead. And you go, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Do you think God can take care of your dating life? He can keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. I know it's hard, but that's where you actually will get life and freedom. Don't trust your flesh. Trust the spirit. 
Get your mind set on the Spirit. Trust Him every week. And that's why we do this every week. We come down, we write stuff on prayer cards, and we put it in that wall to go like, God, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't make sense to me, but I want to trust you. As we take steps towards the King's table, as we're reminded every single week of what Jesus has done for us to give us access to that trust by his life, death, and resurrection on the cross, making us clean, giving us no condemnation, giving us freedom in Christ. That's why we take a step every single week down to take a piece of bread, which represents his body given to you, given to me, and we dip it in the juice, which represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and we have freedom because of that. And you're going to run out these doors and everybody's going to tell you, you have to earn your freedom in other places. And we go, no, that's not how the kingdom works. And I was thinking about this even two weeks ago when we were um, in here and I, I looped back around after praying and came to get communion. And as I was walking uh, in the first four verses of Romans 8, it talks about uh, in verse 4, walking in the spirit. And I just thought, man, this is kind of funny because I'm walking towards the table and step by step I'm going, God, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me? Would you renew me? Would you give me a sense of hope? And that's what we do when we walk. It's not just this, well, I guess this is what we're doing, and this is what we do. We just take communion because we're supposed to take. No, like you go, okay, this is, remind myself, remind myself. It's so funny. I was watching the sermon last week on the way home, and like, it's really funny if you watch it. Like, we all kind of like drift in this like dance, like walking down. Like, it's really like, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> But that's what we do as a community, right? We take steps of faith to go like, okay, like, God, I want to I trust you today with my sin. I want to trust you today with my circumstances. I don't understand it, but I want to trust myself. I want to trust you. And, and when you do that, he makes beautiful music out of your life. Let's do that this morning together. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help remind us that Spirit lives in us, those of us that have made the decision for Jesus to surrender our life. And I pray for anybody that's in this room, God, that doesn't, um, as they examine their own life, to go, man, I, I've kind of been playing or faking the guitar on my own. Like, I, I really haven't given my life to you. God, may this be a moment for them to make the greatest decision of their life to say, no, I want to fully surrender to you. I want to have life. I want to have you inhabit me and dwelt in me so that I don't try and defeat my sin on my own, but you defeat it in and through me. I pray that if there's anybody in the room that would feel that way, that your spirit is drawing them to yourself, that they would make the decision to trust you and come and take, partake of uh, your body and your blood for the first time, maybe. And for some of us, God, would you just help us, give us hope for the areas that seem dead in relationships and circumstances in our life, that we know the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can raise our circumstance, can raise our relationship that feels dead. Help us trust you in the midst of your timing in that. God, be with us. Thank you that your spirit dwells in us. Thank you for that we're indebted to you. We have an obligation not to our flesh, but to walk out what it looks like to love you and love others. Help us do that this morning. We pray in your name. Amen.